Welcome to Oplum Plaza Talks, created by the Hispanic Theological Initiative. Each episode focuses on a topic that matters to you, whether you're in the field, the academy, or the clergy. And today we bring to you a conversation between Nestor Medina and Yomi de Anda about Nestor's book, Christianity, Empire, and the Spirit. For more information about today's talk, go to hciopenplaza.org. Hello, and welcome to all of our listeners today. Uh, we are here with Dr. Nestor Medina, and I am Dr. Naomi Danda. We will be discussing Dr. Medina's latest book, Christianity, Empire, and the Spirit, Reconfiguring Faith and the Cultural. First of all, Nestor, I'd really like to thank you for asking me to engage in this conversation with you. Just a little side information for that may be of interest to the listener. Nestor and I have co-authored a number of published pieces. We co-write together regularly and we have ongoing conversations. So actually recording one of our conversations is both a an exciting but maybe a little bit challenging and a little bit scary to me to uh, be opening up to a larger audience some of the things that we do just between the two of us. So um, again welcome Dr. Medina. Is there anything else you'd like to say about yourself? Well um, I can't say that um, I'm really happy uh, to be here. Uh, Dr. Neanda. Neanda also I tend to call you Naomi, so I'm going to do, do that. That is okay. Um, no, I'm just happy to be here and um, I look forward to the conversation. Sounds great. So then tell us a little bit about your book. Well, the book started, I started thinking about this book because in, uh, the, in the communities that I am part of, the question of the relationship between the gospel and culture, as it's usually discussed, it's quite a, a pervasive discussion. It comes up all the time, and and so I decided to to take seriously this investigation, and I wanted to provide what I hoped would be some of the historical origins of where does this question come from and and then as I went along I realized that this question was bigger than I imagined and so I ended up immersing myself into a, a far larger project that that allowed me to engage other Christian traditions along the way and at the end try to, to articulate some kind of in not in a definitive way of course but in how I kind of begin to understand this relationship. So. Thanks so much. Will you describe some of the structure of the book for us? Sure. Um, the book is eight chapters. And and I, I have to confess to you that I, I at, at first I thought it was going to be like four or five chapters. But <laughs> again, uh, um, researchers know this all too well that that the more you dig, the more you, you, your, your project begins to kind of 
open up and get bigger and bigger. And so I I had to contain it. So that's the first secret that I have to say, that I had to contain it. So eight chapters was containing it. Was containing it. You know, <laughs> how ironic. Isn't From four. Okay. <laughs> but um, so the first chapter really, uh, well, well, let me say this. Uh, I structured the, the book in what you could say three main parts. Mm-hmm. And the first part is trying to um, explore where this question of the cultural comes from how how has it been debated and how is understood in terms of just the the singular culture and and why i think it should be understood differently the this and then i move on to discuss how historically this question has this so that's the first part the second part i do is engage other Christian traditions mm-hmm. in the manner in which they have engaged this question. And um, my main purpose there is just to demonstrate that this has been a concern, a historical concern, and every one of the Christian traditions, or at least of the Christian traditions that I engage in the book. And the third section is it's really my own t- theological or socio-theological attempt mm-hmm. at, at, at thinking about uh, the phenomena, the reality of the cultural, and and I do it by way of a pneumatological perspective. So that's kind of pretty much what I, how I structure the book. So what are some of the approaches from which you draw? And as part of that, I, I think that's much more of a theoretical question, but also can you name the Christian traditions that of which you're speaking? Sure, sure. I, I'm, I'd be glad to do that. So the first thing in terms of the, the, the approaches, there are, um, of course, there is a lot of other uh, traditions or I just say theoretical frames that are floating around. Uh, so, so, for example, liberation theology is, is ever present mm-hmm. in, my, in my work. But to be more uh, concise and more explicit, I draw on Pentecostalism decolonial thinking and Latino theology. Mm-hmm. But um, what I really do is not just draw from them. What I try to see is kind of test their contributions and see um, whether, in fact, their contributions measure up to the test of this question. And and I discover that um, what I was really doing in relation to Latino theology was trying to take Latino theology to the next step forward. Mm. So this is where I think Latino theology should go. This is the direction where I think it should go. And so that's kind of, if you look at my book as, a, as an expression of Latino theology, mm-hmm. that's kind of a next step, so to speak. Can you give us a, a taste, like a little trailer teaser of what that next step might be? Well, in the sense that um, Latino theology has emphasized um, culture in the singular as, a, as an important locus of theological reflection. Mm-hmm. And so I take that seriously. And so the last chapter, to be clearly, impacts deeply. Uh, it's imp- uh, Latino theology impacts deeply how I do that theological reflection. So I don't want to say too much about it because because that would be kind of giving away some of the contact, some of the, the content in oh, the chapter. Oh, but give us just a taste, a tease. Well, okay. Um, Latino theology invites us to, to, to consider the, the manner in which the cultural 
contexts and aspects permeate life, permeate all that we do. And, and that gave me permission to think about that if, in fact, uh, the cultural is a space of theological reflection, and if, in fact, it impacts all that we do, mm-hmm. then, then the next step for me is, well, then that means that the divine is involved in this process. Mm-hmm. And so if the divine is involved in this process, and in order to, to think more critically about the presence of God among us, then um, inevitably consider- theological considerations on the cultural, for me, needed to be pneumatological. So that's kind of... Now, that was in terms of Latino theology. Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of the colonial... Uh, let me change that. In terms of, in terms of Pentecostalism... Mm-hmm. Pentecostalism was a rich trajectory of emphasizing the presence of the Spirit, right? The pneumatological aspect is kind of where Pentecostals, kind of, that's the brand, branding sure. of Pentecostals and Pentecostalism. But as I started reflecting on Pentecostalism and the Holy Spirit, I realized that Pentecostals only go so far to discussing where the Spirit is at work. And so most discussions, Pentecost theological discussions, are are somewhat esoteric, mm. and 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 don't go deeper into the the socio cultural aspects or implications okay. that the spirit might have. So this is kind of my articulation, my numa theological or my pneumatological culture, is a way by which. I kind of take Pentecostalism to task to mm. say, if you're going to talk about the Spirit, you have to go in this direction as well. And so that's kind of why I'm trying to push also Pentecostalism in, in another direction or a, what I would say another next step, for lack of a better word. Now, in terms of the, the colonial thinking, I, 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 I learned a great deal about engaging the colonial thinking. I learned about the epistemological uh, uh, impetus of, of imperialistic perspectives and, and the, the, the European colonial project. But I find uh, I found that, that questions of empire are questions as old as uh, humanity's existence. So, so there is, there is this, this tension that I found with the colonial thinking that, that I think uh, needs to be revisited. Um, and, and that emphasis such as, such as uh, liberation theologies mm-hmm. focus on the, the social and, and, and the social and, and, and the economic aspects uh, cannot be set aside. Uh, empire is, is a strongly a strongly uh, economic. It has a strongly economic, not, not, not only in the sense of, of economy of power and how capitalism has pretty much um, um, turned everything into products of consumption. Um, but rather, the question of empire goes far deeper into the very psyche of, of, of people who are colonized. So, so there are multiple points of intersections and connections, but also little, little levels of, of of, of tension that I found in the colonial thinking that I, I think I learned from, mm-hmm. but also make this project um, 
a bit richer. So I think you've started discussing a little bit the next question I have for you, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and ask it more directly. In the title, you have the words empire and the cultural. Will you please tell us a little bit more about that? Absolutely. Um, the I started with the question of culture originally in the singular, and, and I was excited about the engagement of culture, but uh, as I explore more and deeper, I realized that that there was something more afoot. The, the, the category, if I can say that, the category culture in the singular uh, served a function. And, and I realized then that this function that it served, it was colonizing in its, in its very essence. And so I realized that then that paying attention to the European colonial project when Europe went out of itself to encounter the rest of the world, not that they intended to encounter the rest of the world, but when they actually stumbled on the rest of the world, they had no, no point of reference to understand those other cultural communities that they encounter and, and ethno-racial and ethno-cultural groups that they encounter were then interpreted and encountered and reduced to uh, the European self. And so that other cultural peoples were interpreted through that lens that itself converted this notion of culture as that which could be used to identify those other people. Uh, even today, I find uh, Anglo uh, members of the Anglo community who who don't think of themselves as having a culture, and that's hmm. kind of a kind of a, the effect of of the of that colonial project that came out that necessitated to create a range of categories to name the other, the different other, but because they didn't have a, a know-how and they didn't have another point of reference, they only used themselves to it. So, so that's what, what happened then is was that empire, this colonial project uh, wedded with this idea of civilization and culture and, and that's kind of where the, that's part of the reason why I kind of mentioned the two of them. And, and that's where I think that it, for us, it would be a lot better to, to use the language of the cultural mm. to speak about it as a way of distancing ourselves a little bit mm -hmm. and be critical of the notion of culture as a modern expression of, of, of the, that mm -hmm. inherited colonial project. Yeah. But still staying within the realm of... We're, we're, we're talking about culture, but right. to, absolutely. what we understand, we're talking about what that. we absolutely. call that yeah. now, but also trying to change some of that. And the only way I could use, I, I would use now the, the category culture would be to say uh, Latino culture. Okay. Appropriately. So, so the, the, the noun culture is always modified by mm -hmm. an adjectival identifier of another community. Right. So in Anglo culture or you know, Chinese culture and so on and so forth. Yeah. And would you keep that singular? I would keep it. 
Wow, that's a very good question. Oh my goodness, this is a you know I should I should explore that deeply because it, it there's a certain assumption, right? I mean, mm-hmm. um, Latino culture. Well, um, we are certainly not homogeneous, not right. by a long shot, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think this is where your head is. So, mm-hmm. yeah, no, thank you for that. Um, and I've been I've been to China where I, I I've learned that uh, there isn't a singular thing that we can identify it's a huge country and not in china and not anywhere else I right mean, right so so yeah that that's a something that we need to so the categories are always slippery right mm-hmm. and so and so my tendency to go into the cultural list and a way maybe not um, the most successful one or perhaps not the only one but an attempt to ameliorate some of that uh, slipperiness mm-hmm. of, of mm-hmm. categorizing groups Okay, thanks. I'm going to shift gears a, a bit. Sure. Who who could benefit from this book? Well, um, when I started writing, I started thinking about all the the people in the academic community who wrestle with these questions and, and are constantly talking about these questions. So um, that was my initial audience that I thought I had Mm -hmm. but as I wrote um, the book I realized that I was also thinking about cultural critics who engage these questions people who engage in 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 cultural theory Mm -hmm. uh, those are also um, a a group of people that I am I would like to be in conversation with but to be honest I mean the context and the conversation and and then the, the, the different theologians or the different traditions that I engage um, can very, I would say, very easily be, be used by, by, by students of religion as well as by members, leaders in a community who are uh, willing to engage these questions, who think that in, I believe that they could benefit from having mm-hmm. these conversations as part of their communities. Um, one of the things that we're experiencing now is precisely that cultural intolerance, and so the the book addresses this this question in a kind of head on, mm. and so in that sense, I think that that those different communities could benefit. From. Yeah, and in talking about students using it, I actually used chapter three, which is the missionary history of the Americas oh, chapter you. in my Trent to Vatican II course, which is a master's level course. And I just used it as a primer background reading for the primary sources that we read in that course. But I used it because I found it to be... Um, I, I really like the approach in that chapter that it brings together a whole variety of different levels and complexities to the history itself. And so thank you for that. And I appreciate that. And I well, really thank you for using my recommend book. other people do use it in these different kinds of ways or actually even break apart the different chapters. Because I think the way you wrote the book allows for each chapter to be broken apart and used to... Uh, in a discussion group or a reading group or uh, in in smaller ways. So it doesn't need to be read as one full manuscript, right, right. but it can be used and read in part. So, yeah, thank you. Uh, well, if I could piggyback on that, yeah. I'm... Earlier, you mentioned, you know, if you could, if I could mention the the, the Christian traditions that I engage, mm. right? And, uh, and I, Thanks, I, for, I was totally to forgot that, that, right? Yeah, that's cool. um, 
but but that's actually part of the structure. I mean, uh, there are there there is a whole chapter dedicated for how Catholics have engaged this question. So so it it took a while to write that one because um, I am not Catholic and I. Um, and I wanna, I wanted to be as respectful as I could of the debates and the discussion. And I also wanted to be as go as far back as I could, but also as contemporary as I could. Mm-hmm. So I was really enriched about to see how internal to the Catholic, to Catholicism, there is a whole debate, right? Mm-hmm. That, that to me was like, oh, I didn't know this. So, the, so that's, I think. Uh, Catholic students or students who who want to become aware of the debates within Catholicism could benefit from that, from becoming more aware of all these kinds of debates. But there are also um, main mainline Protestants that I engage, mm-hmm. and 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 a host of other evangelicals that I engage. So those are kind of the traditions, and using of course broad strokes, um, specifically Baptists, Presbyterians, you know. Um, and I think also Anglicans, uh, and of course Pentecostals, I engage right. Uh, in addition to to the to the to the to the Catholics, to the Catholic chapter that I write. So, so I dedicate almost uh, three chapters, I think three or four chapters to mm-hmm. to that material because I, I found it one fascinating, but also so important to create the whole backdrop of of this conversation. And realized that this conversation has been alive for quite a number of years, right? Another thing that I discovered, of course, to my disappointment, was that that much of the debate uh, revolves around the work of Richard Niebuhr, mm. uh, famous or well now classic uh, Christ and culture, mm-hmm. right? And and though Niebuhr himself never fully. I would say Niebuhr and Niebuhr never fully said these are hardcore categories. The fact that he created the specific categories of of Christ against culture, of Christ. Right. So those, those because he created those five paradigms, mm-hmm. uh, those have remained alive and so have kind of directed the debate. Mm-hmm. And 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 so part of my book is to say that there are some serious problems with taking that debate and because it it limits mm-hmm. then the direction of our conversation yeah well and just quickly going back to something you said a, a couple of minutes ago as a catholic theologian um, i'm not sure i fully agree with your hard stance that you are not catholic i know you're <laughs> you're trained from a catholic school and and have some solid catholic background but um I, I just want to say that as you're talking you about the, the slippage of categories, that's yes. definitely one, and one for a different podcast probably, but yes. just interesting in this conversation. So what did you find most challenging about writing this book? Writing a book is always um, a challenge on one hand because because of that roller coaster of of finding material that you're researching and then trying to find the proper language to express what you want to say in the most appropriate way and at the same time in the briefest of ways. So that is always a challenge. But if if I could say the the biggest challenge for me was um, 
the dearth of, of, of women scholars dealing mm-hmm. with, with these questions. Mm-hmm. And I say dearth intentionally mm-hmm. because I discovered to my, to my well, disappointment, I discovered that the majority of scholars who engage these questions of, of, of Christianity and culture, Christ mm-hmm. and culture, and so on and so forth, were men, mm-hmm. and and in conversation with you and a number of other uh, people, uh, I came to realize that that there is a certain attitudinal uh, mm. aspect to this debate, which is confrontational, which is very on uh, trying to prove the other one wrong. Mm. And so the debates of Christ and culture carry that inherently mm-hmm. of trying to to constantly up one another. Okay. And and that is something that I have to say uh, in other scholars who are themselves uh, women, I don't find. So that's, those are aspects that I don't find. There is a greater tendency to want to, to, to move in a direction of let's have a conversation, let's debate this and see how we can, we can create community uh, and as we're having mm-hmm. the debate, I don't want to enter into a characterization either in terms right. of men do this and women do that. Right, so I am just strong gender binary. Right, no, no. But I can tell you that 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 I couldn't find too many women doing this, mm. which raises a whole lot of questions as as to why is it that right. that has. So that was that was a genuine challenge because I do I do I'm committed and I do believe in in including. Uh, uh, voices or my my female colleagues and 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 there were very few that I found. Mm. Yeah. So how does this manuscript connect to your broader research? Well, there's a whole lot of connections that I can tell you. Um, for sure, uh, my first uh, book on mestizaje. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I wanna now. I think of it in terms of a. It was a, was another attempt at thinking about the connection, this connection between the cultural and and how we think about God. Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, my original mestizaje kind of uh, attempted to more um, provide a record of what has been said or how how it has been addressed, but already there I was looking at. Afro descendants and indigenous communities as having different cultural trajectories that mm. that demanded a different approach at mm-hmm. thinking I think in these questions and in that sense um, I think it's very directly connected um, I have done a number of different other issues but I think the thread that puts them all together that that connects them somehow is always the question of uh, the the impact of of the cultural mm-hmm. how is it that the cultural shapes forms and informs mm-hmm. the manner in which we live our faith the manner in which we think about our faith and 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 the kinds of things that we can say about that relationship and so in that sense um, it pretty much that's how i see it connecting are there any directions that you would like to move forward with this, or do you think this project will continue to inform your thought? Or? Oh, it definitely will. I think 
it is already informing two things. One is um, it's already informing uh, a research that I'm doing right now for mm. what I hope to be my, my next monograph. I am I am engaged in a, an exploration of of ethno-racial relations during colonial Latin America, and the manner in which this category of mestizaje em- first emerged, was first thought of or mm. pr- understood, and how it mutated along the way, and and its socio-historical and I want to say religious right. underpinnings. Because one of the things that I have discovered is 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 that the the church. Uh, had such a major role hmm. in 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 both shaping but also informing uh, ethno-racial relations, which is what an odd thing to say today because hmm. people wouldn't think that. I would say, uh, would suspect. Um, so in that sense, uh, it's it's pushing me in that direction. But another one is uh, my last chapter, the chapter on the pneumatology of culture. I I, I hope to 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 have the the opportunity to to write a whole volume on it and mm. and pursue some of the areas like not per, go deeper i guess is the better okay. way go deeper into some of the areas that i i i think could be could be emphasized well querido amigo muchísimas gracias por este tiempo juntos y por con- compartir with us about your most recent book-length manuscript. Well, no, thank you. Thank you, actually. I, I enjoyed this conversation. Will you give us the name of the book one last time? Yes, Christianity, Empire, and the Spirit, Reconfiguring Faith and the Cultural. It is published by Braille, and uh, you are welcome to go uh, to braille.com and and purchase a copy or suggest it to your library to, to purchase an electronic copy and then that should give you access and and I, I think that, that would be better. And libraries can actually purchase um, student copies. So that's what our library that's did right. is they purchase yeah. it and uh, then I can use it for my classes and don't have to charge for it. Exactly. All, which is exactly. That's that the better multiple way. Multiple copies available. So. Yeah. Uh, yes. So thank you again and thank you to all of you thank who are you. listening to us today. This has been an HTI production. For more information, visit us at htiopenplaza.org. The Hispanic Theological Initiative provides Open Plaza as a public service. The views expressed by the guests are their own. Their appearance on this program or any reference to a specific product or entity they represent does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by HTI.